Welcome to A Bun Dance. You guessed it, a podcast dedicated to all things surrounding dance. I am Kristen. And I am Hannah, and we are two best friends who are brought together by this art form. Please join us in five, six, seven, eight. Here's a word from our sponsor. All right, welcome back everyone. Today we have the amazing Michelle Cave with us. And I'm so excited to have her on this podcast. I've really grown to love her as a person and as a teacher, taking a lot of classes at Steps with her on Tuesday and Thursday mornings, which has been such a nice way to start my day. Michelle has so many talents and things to offer. So I can't wait for her to tell us more about what she's done. We're super excited to have you here, Michelle. So thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here to talk about ballet with you tonight. I'm really honored that you asked me to uh, join your podcast. So thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, to get us going, can you start by telling our audience where you started your dance training? Absolutely. And I'm so glad you asked this now. Um, I trained at Sacramento Ballet and my director, Barbara Crockett, she just passed away last month, um, one month shy of her 102nd birthday. So it gave me an opportunity to reflect on how tremendous she was historically and really the opportunity that she created for all of us who were there. I didn't appreciate it at the time, of course, because I was young and just, you know, complaining about why didn't I get this part or why didn't I get that part? But um, yeah, in retrospect, um, she had trained uh, or danced for the San Francisco Opera Ballet, which was actually the first professional company in the US. It was, um, wow. yeah, I know, right? Started in the thirties, it went on to become the San Francisco Ballet, but that's the okay. San Francisco Opera Ballet. Um, and she and her husband danced there in the 1930s, and then they wanted to start their own training program and civic company, and that became the Sacramento Ballet. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, that sounds like a tremendous life that um, to have to live to almost 102. Wow. Right? Yeah. I, I was like, uh, yeah, you got a little taste of that part of her history and her legacy. Yeah, and you know, I didn't realize how special it was at the time, but she brought the professionalism of her career to us. We always performed with a live orchestra. Um, we had the benefit of kind of doing, you know, being in a company when we were teenagers and really understanding what that meant at a professional level. Um, and she brought teachers internationally, acclaimed teachers in to work with us and choreographers. So it was really a special way to train. Um, so I was grateful for that. And then I would, um, because of her connections to San Francisco, but also just because of our training, I would do my summers at the, on scholarship at the San Francisco Ballet School. So I had that as well. So great. And now you also studied at the Royal Ballet Upper School in London. Is that correct? So I did that. I left high school a year early and, you know, we had a teacher in Sacramento who was from the Royal Ballet School and had trained there. And she, um, told another student about the opportunity the year before me. And then I went on ahead and followed her trajectory and, um, and trained there for a year, which was, yeah, an amazing experience. Um, a lot to share about that if you're curious. <laughs> how, how did that experience vary from your training in America as 
it's not only a different school, but it's also in another country. And I imagine there were probably quite a few differences. Yeah, I was, first of all, you know, I, I was kind of viewing it as when I look back on it, it was like a nine month summer intensive. I mean, it was extremely intensive. We were, you know, start 8.39 in the morning and go all day, of course, and have our technique class and then learning the repertoire of the Royal Ballet, which was really special and unique. Um, I remember look, looking back, we learned some Frederick Ashton ballets and we learned, you know, all kinds of variations. And yeah, it was, it was very intense. Um, I was surprised because I was expecting a training along the lines of the Royal Academy of Dance, you know, the RAD mm -hmm. training. Right. But um, at that point, they were adding um, teachers from different schools. So my primary ballet teacher was from Czechoslovakia. So our training was very Russian, um, very strengthening. And um, yeah, I think, you know, at that point in my life, I was ready to go somewhere and have a new sort of freeing experience and it was very rigid and very competitive and um so in that respect it taught me a lot about myself i think at, at that point um you know to present the opportunity to train really intensely and look at a life of being in a ballet company like that versus having the freedom to sort of explore what else dance could be for me. Do you attribute the kind of intensity and competitive nature more to just like the prestige of the Royal Ballet as that is a big schooling company or do you think that any of that was kind of a cultural difference between the states um, versus abroad? Yeah I don't think it was cultural so much as I think just the level of of what it was and right. you know for the dancers there at the time of which I was one you're trying to get in that company. I mean you know, and it would, there were 40 of us or something like that. And, you know, what I realized kind of two thirds of the way through that experience is I wasn't going to be one of the three that was going to, to stay there. Maybe I probably never was going to be. So, um, but, you know, the benefits of having that intense level of training stay with me for my whole life. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's so intriguing. I'm just, I don't know I just didn't expect to hear all of that like it's just kind of astonishing but it makes a lot of sense and I also think you know you're so detailed oriented and like strong when you present combinations and when you're speaking and teaching and so I can definitely see how your time there translated to your present and probably the dancing that you spent in the United States as well um in retrospect, absolutely. You know, I remember some, you know, humiliating, horrible moments when, you know, we're rehearsing all of us together and I come and move my hand. It was, you know, the precision and particularly with the Ashton and the details um, was really hard, but I'm glad that I had that work. You know? Definitely. Right. It pays off for sure. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So, all right, going forward, Michelle, you received your BA, your MA, and your MBA from Stanford University. How did your college experience influence your dance career? Yeah, you know, so I did all, I did those, um, I studied there at kind of two separate times, and there were like 10 years in between. So it, it kind of bookended, and um, I think just kind of in keeping with the earlier discussion about the Royal Ballet, 
you know, I realized my year there that I wasn't going to go on and have a professional career right away. Like I just didn't want it anymore. I was like, what, what I was feeling there was that, you know, my body, my technique, really just kind of the shape of my body wasn't what they wanted. And it didn't matter how hard I worked every day. I wasn't going to change that. Um, so leaving there and going, deciding I was going to go to college and just leave dance behind a hundred percent, um, was really freeing. And, you know, so going to college at that point, um, allowed me to fall in love with dance all over again. Um, and I didn't, I didn't realize at the time, you know, I, I was done. I was like that. This is not for me. Can't do it. Not going to do it. I'm going to college. I'm going to do something totally different. And then, you know, two weeks into college, I was like looking, where can I take ballet? I mean, you know, I missed it so much, um, but it was great because I was able to do it, to approach ballet um, in a way that I fell in love with it. I could, I could do it as I wanted and um, dancing with other smaller companies in the Bay Area while I was in college just gave me a way to find myself separate from who I was as a student. Um, and it allowed me to feel really appreciated, I think. And, you know, because I was being asked to perform with regional companies or to guest with this or to teach here or to do that. And um, it was important for me, I think, as a person at that point, because I rebuilt my confidence. Was, you know, I left the Royal Ballet School with so much knowledge, but not a lot of confidence. So mm -hmm. being able to dance while being in college, you know, because I didn't study dance at college. There was no dance at Stanford at that point. So ballet, well, I mean, there was, there probably was some modern dance and a little bit of dance, but it really wasn't, I wasn't there to dance, to get a dance degree. So um, but finding dancing while I was there outside of it, I was really built up again, you know, uh, an idea of why I love dance and what I wanted to do with it. Yeah, that's so good. That's so awesome to hear. And it sounds like you have created so much um, for yourself, both academically when you were at Stanford, but also having the opportunity to dance with those companies and then going on to fall in love with dance all over again, it makes you realize like, okay, in the future, I definitely want to continue to do something with that. So that's just so awesome to hear. Um, and I'm glad you had such a positive experience while you were in the Bay Area. Yeah, I was able to do it on my terms and then to go and on. But, you know, that said, then when I decided, oh, I'm, I really do want to dance professionally. I'm going to try this. I really do want to do this. I know I left it behind at 16 or 17 and now I want to do it again. Um, you know, there's still our ageism <laughs> there still is ageism in ballet now but back then it was it presented its own challenge um you know to go back and audition again at 20 something but um but it kind of worked out so <laughs> it was <okay>. yeah <laughs> and ballet really can be so all-consuming that i think for many dancers sometimes we do need that kind of step away a little bit of reflection and then kind of coming back to our art form. And I, I think for many people that happened during the pandemic of just, you know, being pulled away from the everyday of what we do as dancers and having some reflection and for some people, you know, trying other interests and exploring other things or, you know, just re falling in love with dance when it's not so heavily present in our lives like it, it is. Absolutely. And just to get somebody else's perspective on what you're doing or to, you know, do it in another place, just, to, you know, to step out and just kind of have a, take a fresh look and see what you find. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so in terms of falling in love with dance all over again and, and having a professional career, what did you love most about that all? I, yeah, I know I was thinking about this and I, I, at first I said, I was thinking, oh, I loved, you know, having been in the Sacramento Ballet Company and then doing all of what I did at the Royal Ballet School. And eventually like, I, oh, I loved, you know, to guest and go do a, you know, a lead role somewhere. And that it was just, that felt so wonderful and supported and, you know, great. And but then I was like, no, but I also really just loved, you know, being in the core in a professional company and, you know, the camaraderie of that and was thinking about this absurd situation when, you know, I was in this Russian company that we were in Indianapolis and we toured Nutcracker and all of us had to do everything. So we were, you know, the women had to do parent and then mouse and then snow and like it was, but how bonding that was and how much fun that was to be dancing, you know, in the core, like with, with doing everything all the time. I loved that too. So it was really hard for me to pick one thing. I don't think I can. I really, really, really love being on stage and I really love working with dancers, all dancers. I mean, of course there's some who can annoy you and they're, you know, there are hard things, but, but um, yeah, in, in all contexts, maybe it's the distance that's making me, you know, look at it only through rose colored glasses, but I, every opportunity to be on stage, I really loved. That's so great to hear. I, I know it is so hard to pick favorites. I'm, <laughs> I have trouble doing so myself, but I'm glad that you had such a positive experience. Yeah. And then, you know, I, at one point I, I was in Indianapolis, I was old enough to say, you know, I don't want to be here anymore just because I want to be back in New York. You know, like that's where, and then to be able to come back at New York and be older and be able to work with small companies and emerging choreographers and having them set work on me, that was a great experience, you know, couldn't make yeah. a living off of that, but it was, <laughs> but artistically, that was probably the, my favorite thing to do, to kind of create new ballets or new roles or just have choreographers work with me in an experimental situation. And um, yeah. And did you start teaching while you were still performing? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I was 18 when I first, you know, I, at Stanford, I was teaching at, you know, they asked me to, can you sub, can you, and then, oh yes, and I need some cash. So yes, and um, yeah. I think the we only all end up kind of getting roped into it at some point, even if it's not the planned career path for sure. <laughs> no, totally. And I think that's also, I really loved teaching, but at some point I looked at myself and thought, wait, this can't be, this can't be my career. Like I didn't set out to be a ballet teacher, but you know, 30 years later, I'm like, wow, I really, I really liked it then. And I really like it now. And it's a great career. It's, you know, um, but yeah, I did teach all along. The only time I didn't teach is when I was in Indianapolis. I was you know, able to just dance all the time, but yeah. Wow. And now you're teaching today. And now I'm teaching and I'm still teaching. And, still teaching. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Michelle, when you were in New York City, how did you get involved with Ballet Hispanico? Can you talk a little bit about your experience both as a teacher and as an administrator of Ballet Hispanico School of Dance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think I had probably come back from Indianapolis and, you know, I decided I wanted to make it work in New York, uh, friends here, you know, personal life here. I wanted to be here. And um, again, it was just connections like um, one of my teachers, 
my favorite teachers, teacher I was training with on a regular basis said, you know, had worked there as well. And she said, I think they need somebody, you know, it was like middle of the year, somebody had left. Um, and so I uh, went over there and um, yeah, it was a great fit and kind of, you know, another, another woman that we just lost. So Tina Ramirez had founded the company and she just passed away, I think a, a few weeks ago too, but another very strong woman who um, was an honor to work for her. And I think for me as a teacher at that time, um, trying to figure out how am I going to use what I know, how, you know, the, my approach to teaching, which is very clean sort of placement-based um, musical way of teaching that will work with the style of the, the company that I'm being asked to teach for, you know? So um, that was a, it was a good learning experience. It was like my teaching style can make can help dancers regardless of where they're working or you know what is what cultural style they're doing and um, it was great and then yeah for various reasons you know, the administrative director had left um, she had been there a long time and um, I was able to step into that role as well um, which was great because it, it it let me see what it was like to work inside a nonprofit corp company like that one that had a good history and. Um, a strong staff and a supportive board of directors. And um, the really nice thing at that time was the uh, artistic director of the school, um, Salma Bustillo, had a, a whole different set of skills. So we really complemented each other. She had danced at Joffrey and she had run a school in Spain. So I think with, with her experience and history, I was relatively young. But you know, I could I could write the emails, I could work the computer, I could do the numbers, and um, it was a good fit. It was really fun. I love to I love to hear that. That's awesome. And kind of skipping forward to my next couple of questions, is this one of the reasons why you um, developed your nonprofit organizations about organization? Sorry, Valley and Beyond New York City, because you had a sense of the administrative side. To dance as well like did it spark kind of a love for that 100 it was like it's probably 20 years 15 20 years but well i'd been thinking about it all along but um i loved being at valley hispanico i loved the community that was there i loved what tina had created you could see that it you know money was not an issue you know if students loved to dance she was going to find a way that they were going to dance um, parents were there sewing costumes there was really just this great community feeling and the classes were always full and so um, I left there to go get my MBA so that kind of bookended that you know once I had that experience I was like I'd like to do this and have the skills the real skills behind me so why don't I go get an MBA and learn some more accounting and all this kind of stuff you know strategy and marketing and all the things that you know you could you could use to help further the business of dance. You know, it was, it was important to me that somehow I can help dance be more successful in, and successful is the wrong word, but because um, I think dance is very successful, maybe more appreciated, more supported, right? Maybe more, you know, more financially supported. Um, so yeah, it was that experience there led me to want to create more opportunities for more students to be able to to train you know because i went on to teach in other places and it just kind of struck me that there's a lot of capacity there are a lot of people who want to teach and reach children but the cost of it is prohibitive for many many students or knowing how to access the classes even if scholarships are available 
how do you find out about them? How do, how do students know that they're interested in ballet if they don't have the opportunity to try it? And, and not just watch it, but actually try it day after day after day for a while to see nice. like, oh, wait, this feels good in my body. I see progress. I have, I like this. So. Yeah, accessibility is a huge thing that definitely needs improvement. And like you said, just even awareness about like sometimes accessibility exists, but it's at the same time, just not like broadcasted enough for, for people to. Yeah, I think one thing that I noted, the reason that I started the nonprofit the way that I did is I know there's so many amazing, you know, ballet companies and organizations in this city. I can name so many of them who expose a lot of children to dance and create opportunities for children to try dance in their schools. And, you know, but then I asked, well, what if you really liked it? What happens then? Like after the six weeks or the eight weeks or the 12 weeks that you've been exposed, where do you go to train? Like I thought that there was a big gap and I still think there is because, you know, to really understand and like ballet, you have to do it day after day for a while. Um, and so I wanted to try to figure out a way to, to create that opportunity. We still don't reach enough students. We still don't, you know, we still could have more locations. We could, but um, it was that sort of that gap that I saw, you know, if you liked it, you were exposed to it, but you didn't get a scholarship to go study it at one of the schools, how, where do you go? How do you, how does that work for you? Um, I'm still trying to answer those questions and help, help bridge that gap a little bit. Yeah. And now with your program, how do your classes run? How can students get involved? What's that kind of all like? Yeah, so this is our seventh year kind of, and you know, we didn't stop during the pandemic, but of course we had to move to Zoom during the pandemic as so many of us did. Um, but the model is to work with community centers so that we go to places where students already are after school or in the neighborhood and we set up our classes there. At the moment, our biggest partner happens to be the Goddard Riverside Community Center and they have locations throughout mostly Manhattan. Um, but yeah, we use their space um, and we, you know, I invest, the organization invests in bringing in a floor or doing what we can to make it a, a suitable space in which, in which we train. So, um, so how can you find out? You can definitely go to the website and contact me and, you know, you can, you don't have to be a member of the community organization or anything in order to take the classes, but that's, that's how the access works. Well, I hope this does reach out to someone and they learn about and can then, um, get to, to benefit your program. That would be great. What we're doing now, we are you know, partnering with more and more organizations. We've been in a few different locations over, the, over our history, Flatbush, Brooklyn, up in the Wakefield section of the Bronx, but um, not but, but, and you know, at the moment we're kind of concentrating with God at Riverside and they're very, they have various locations. So that's mm -hmm. where we are, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. just, it's so inspirational, Michelle. And you know, it's just, it's wild to me that I didn't know about this like other side to you because I was just so used to seeing you at Steps and you have taught this amazing ballet class, but then there's this other amazing thing that you're doing. And I'm just so happy that I have been learning about it. And it's just so interesting. And I, I hope that people will, as Kristen said, listen to this podcast and look up what you're doing because it's absolutely fantastic. 
and inspirational. And yeah, as I said, I want to be involved in some way. So love to I'd love that. to have you. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for that. I really think, you know, the mission or the the inspiration. I mean, the mission is to make ballet available. If you if you have a passion to dance, we want to make it available to you so that you can train. But you know, for me, I was like, I love teaching. Why can't I teach more students? You know, that's kind of the. It sounds very simple, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> it's like because somebody's of- got to pay for it. That's why. So right. I have to fundraise. And that's so, what's so challenging about it. Yeah. yeah. So is that kind of the, oh, sorry, Hannah. <laughs> no, I'm just saying it's good that she's bridging that, that gap. It's so important because there's so many people that want to dance but just can't um, because they don't have the financial standing to do so. And this provides another opportunity for them to get involved without that financial burden. So. Now, Michelle, do you find, it sounds like, this to kind of be the most rewarding aspect of your program is just kind of reaching out to more and more students and and building that accessibility? I think, you know, ironically, or maybe it's not ironic, but the most rewarding is seeing the growth with the same students. So it's really going deep. Um, You know, we have a number of students. So we just finished our seventh summer intensive program. We do throughout the year, we teach on a regular basis. And then the summer we do this really intensive seven week program. And we've had so many students return and now they're working as counselors or they're, you know, coming back as counselors in training. And it's that, seeing that and, and kind of really understanding from the families and the students how important those connections are for them that, you know, as teachers, we see people come and go and it's hard to know the difference that we're making because right. you just see so many people and, you know, you can't get inside their heads and hearts and, and find out exactly what's going on. But when I get to know the families and the students return and then they reach out as when they're 16 or 17 and say, I want to work this summer with you, I, you know, that's, that's the most rewarding part. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Sure. And kind of to start wrapping things up a little bit more just about your program. Can you just speak on the performances that the students get to participate in? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, really the most, the most public performance we do is at the end of our summer program, you know, we do a, they create the story around what is essentially a musical because we also in the summer we combine ballet i handle the dancing but um the dance training but we i work with carlton terrence taylor who's an incredible musical theater director performer so we we make kind of a musical theater performance um not kind of it is a musical theater performance um so the students create the story we bring in musical theater numbers and you know dance and and song this um this past summer we were at riverside church theater we're usually in in a situation like that during the year it's a little bit more intimate um you know we perform locally for the communities in which we're working um so yeah great amazing um and Michelle, kind of skipping ahead, um, if you could pick one thing, and I know it's really hard, but what is your favorite part about being a ballet instructor? Do you have any moments when you say to yourself, this is why I teach? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess it's going to sound similar, but it's, and it seems so simple, but it is the aha moment when I see something and I give a correction or a suggestion and then the student does it <laughs> and they realize that for them, it seems so simple, but that's what all, that's what teaching is for me. It's giving you the opportunity or the ability to realize something new in yourself. So if something that I tell you or suggest to you opens up something a new way of doing something or a confidence that you didn't have or a another level of understanding. That's really all it is. Yeah. And I can speak on that firsthand. There are so many things in class that I'll do and then you'll give me the correction. And then once I do it, you're like, yes, you did it. That's right. And I feel so much better once I hear that support from you. And I think a lot of students who work with you probably feel the same exact way as I do. And I can just tell how passionate you are about you know, seeing people improve and become the best dancers that they can be. It's my hope that you feel it internally, that it's not I just do. me saying, okay, <laughs> that you feel like, yes, I've got this now, I've got this. I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't, before we leave tonight, just say that, you know, with all the different influences that I've had, because I'm American and we get training from everybody, it was really working with Maggie Black that brought me to New York City and it was understanding her approach to technique and her musicality and then working with the teachers that had trained with her as well and watching those teachers work with all the different kinds of dancers in New York City and making a difference whether they were ABT or City Ballet or Ailey or, you know, just it didn't matter this or modern, a lot of modern dancers as well. It didn't really matter the style of dance that you were doing this type of training could see and help you to be more confident in your own fundamental technique and just would give you the confidence and the training that you could express your own artistic um, message. You could express your artistry. And I mean, I finally found that and felt that in my 20s. I was so grateful when I found that. Like, you know, I, I, I really believed, felt like I could say whatever I wanted with my dancing at that point. Um, so I'm hoping that the people that I work with find that as well. I would say so, being someone that you work with. <laughs> um, well, anyway, thank you so much, Michelle, for taking the time to do this with us. Um, are there any last words that you want to leave our audience with? I know you said the Maggie Black part was important, but is there anything else? Um, I'm just so grateful to be able to talk about ballet. I, I love ballet. And I'm so glad that we're moving to a place in the world where we can let go of some of the baggage that had come with ballet, whether whatever that was for you, whether that was, you know, body image, other things that were maybe negative associations. And I just want my work to help to take ballet in a positive direction. Um, I hope that the people that I work with feel good in their bodies and feel good with the, the ballet technique. Yes, so anyone in the New York City area, please go take Michelle <laughs> at Steps, Steps on Broadway in New York City and look up her website for her nonprofit organization. I'm just so glad I met you. You have definitely made a lasting impression on me and I am fortunate to continue our relationship moving forward. So again, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear about your career and experiences. Thank you for having me. You guys have a great podcast. Keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Abundance. We appreciate your support. 
We hope to have PK'd your interest. Feel free to contact us at AbundancePodcast5678 at gmail.com and give us feedback on what you'd like to hear. That is Abundance without parentheses. Go dance yourself silly. Bye for now. A special thank you to Richard D. Fiore for our lovely podcast tune and Matt Mellish for our cover art.